Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. And the kickoff of my birthday month celebration. Yes, I'm giving myself a whole month because it is my birthday month and I have a podcast and I can do this. <laughs> um, and I will at the end go over what the whole schedule is going to be because once again, I will have a reminder. We actually are going to be off a week, which I'm actually doing that. I can't believe I'm doing that, but I am. <laughs> so I'm allowing myself a week off from the podcast. I will let you know when that week is. But we're kicking things off with a look at my all-time favorite movie, Magnolia. I know you might think it's Donnie Darko because Donnie Darko is my second favorite and the movie I've seen more than any other movie. But Magnolia is my absolute favorite movie. And you will notice it did not happen, everybody. I did not get Finn on this episode. I know I've talked about it before and it did not happen. It's not, it's because of me. <laughs> and I've been going, oh, well, he looks like he's really busy with his schedule, so I'm just not going to reach out. But I still am determined to get Mr. Finn Whitrock on here to interview him at some point. But I have an amazing guest with me, another podcast host, Ishelle from Liberty Diner Dish. So this is probably even better than having Finn Whitrock himself here is having Ishelle on. <laughs> She's shaking her head at me. But it's 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 true. It's true, Ishelle. <laughs> I feel like chopped liver for the people who are expecting Finn to be on here. <laughs> but you are not chopped liver. Not at all, Ishelle. So this is the first time that she's seen this movie. And I do not know yet what she thinks of it. So I'm praising her right now, but depending on what she says, I could be not. From now on, this could be the end. <laughs> the end of it all. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we shall see. Tread lightly. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But if you don't know what Magnolia is, and we'll be spoiling this, but this movie is from 1999, so I don't feel bad about spoiling this movie. Uh, but Magnolia came out in 1999, which just a side note, 1999 is thought of as one of the best years for film. So maybe some year we'll cover, I don't know, the year as a whole. Um, but this was one of the movies released and it is written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, who, if you don't know, is my favorite writer director, even though I hated, hated licorice pizza. <laughs> as people who listen to our Oscar episode probably know, I have major issues with that movie. It's the only movie of his I don't like. 
but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Magnolia, which is an epic mosaic of interrelated characters in search of love, forgiveness, and meeting in the San Fernando Valley. That is the most simplistic description of this movie. It stars Tom Cruise, Jason Robards, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Patton Oswalt is actually in this in the beginning, making one of his first little appearances there. Uh, it also has John C. Riley, Philip Baker Hall, Thomas Jane has one of his first appearances as a young Jimmy Gator, uh, Jeremy Blackman, um, Melinda Dillon, uh, William H. Macy, Melora Walters. I'm like, how can I not mention the actress who plays Claudia? So a huge, huge cast of characters. We will have trigger warnings for this before we get started. I have a lot of trivia for this one. I'm going to try and sprinkle most of it throughout our discussion. So the budget for this was estimated at $37 million. This grossed, oof, this grossed $48,451,803. So that was the worldwide gross. The runtime on this is three hours and eight minutes. I know it's a long one. It's a very long movie. Paul Thomas Anderson recently said, actually, on an interview with Mark Marin in January of 2015, he said, when he was asked if he had the opportunity to recut the film, he replied, I'd slice that thing down. It's way too fucking long. It's unmerciful how long it is. He added that maybe a few trajectories in the film's plot lines could have been eliminated. I actually don't have a problem with the length of this film, I want to say. I mean, I don't think it'd be my favorite movie if I did. But we'll see if Ishelle does because she just might. She might be like, this movie sucked and it was way too long and it was nice knowing you while I did. <laughs> so this was nominated for three academy awards which it did not win any of them and those were for best actor in a supporting role tom cruise best writing but best screenplay um written directly for the screen so that means best original screenplay paul thomas anderson and best original song for the song save me by amy mann um and then you know just to let you know the only actor that New Line Cinema campaign as lead was John C. Riley, which is very interesting because when I was in film school, I actually wrote a paper on the screenplay for Magnolia and examined it. And I thought if there was any central protagonist, it would be Claudia. I was very wrong because if you follow the structure, John C. Riley's character, who is the detective, Officer, or oh, sorry, not detective, Officer Jim Curring is actually the protagonist when you analyze this script. So that really kind of surprised me, although watching it now, it doesn't surprise me <laughs> at all. Because if you did have to pick one central, like, heart of the film, I think it's him and Claudia, but yeah. So before we get into Magnolia and a lot of different trivia things that I'll be peppering throughout, and if I find out if Ishelle can still be my friend. I want to know, Ishelle, what are you into right now in pop culture? Okay, so I am reading because I'm always reading, but I'm also watching Abbott Elementary slowly, watching that. Um, I love shows that are about, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, this show does not deserve a comparison, doesn't need a comparison, but similar to The Office or like a superstore where it's just about like these people who work in a normal life mm -hmm. setting and the ridiculousness that ensues. And it's just like so well written and so well acted. And uh, yeah, so I'm really enjoying Abbott Elementary right now. 
Awesome. Yes. And we may be covering that next year. I'm not positive, but we may be talking about that. And what I'm into is, well, you know, I always feel weird when I say stuff that's podcast prep, but I'm still going to say it. So as part of my birthday month, we are going to talk about my longest celebrity crush, and that's George Clooney. And so as preparation, I have been re-watching ER, and I forgot how damn good that show is. <laughs> that show is so damn good. I, I'm like, we are going to have to cover this show for the podcast at some point. I did stop watching it like after um, a nurse Hathaway, Carol Hathaway left. I did stop watching it, but I we may we will have to cover that at some point because it's it's a really good show. Well, it's on HBO Max and Hulu, so you have two two places you can watch it. And if you haven't watched it before, I recommend it. A, a very young George Clooney who does have some actor tics that he uses in there that I will probably be talking about. Uh, but it's it was it's a ton of fun, and I will ship Carol and Doug forever and ever and ever. That's one of my other favorite ships. Okay, so let's get into Magnolia. So first, I want to just give some trigger warnings. This movie deals heavily, heavily with child abuse, child sexual abuse, cancer, lots of stuff about cancer, suicide. I want to talk about that, too. It does deal with that. Drug abuse, uh, suicidal ideation, I would say, depression, heavy, heavy depression, child neglect, I think one of the ch the child character in here who goes on the quiz show, What Do Kids Know? I think he is severely neglected and treated awfully by his father. Uh, so just some trigger warnings there and some trivia here. So the character of Claudia, played by Melora Walters, Walters, was the first character created and all the other characters were branched off from her. Um, the story in the beginning, because I show the different stories that connect and you know, chance and all that stuff. The story about the man being killed by a gunshot while falling off a building has for years been used as a hypothetical case in criminal law cases, classes, excuse me, to illustrate causation. Um, Amy Mann's music inspired Paul Thomas Anderson to write the script and at least one lyric and possibly more from an Amy Mann song was lifted and used as dialogue. In the song Deathly, the lyric goes, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? And in the film, Melora Walters' character, Claudia, says that exact thing after her date with Jim. Almost every location contains at least one picture or painting of a magnolia. So every single one you will also see Exodus 8-2 is alluded to over a hundred times throughout the movie. That also relates very much to the frogs falling from the sky, which Paul Thomas Anderson said was a total mistake and like a happy accident because he wrote that in there and didn't realize that was a biblical thing. <laughs> I know. I don't know if I believe him, but... <laughs> yeah, that sounds a little too coincidental, sir. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of religion, religious themes in this. Yeah. Um, the, te the telephone number that Frank Mackey has for his um, seduce and destroy infomercials, the 877 tame her was actually active for a while. And if you called it, you would get a recording of Tom Cruise giving the seduce and destroy pitch. I'm so bummed. I never, ever called the number. <laughs> Uh, musician Fiona Apple is responsible for many of the paintings seen throughout the film. 
The title Magnolia not only refers to Magnolia Boulevard in Los Angeles, where much of the movie takes place, but is also similar to the term Charles Fort, who is referenced many places in this movie, coined for a hypothetical region where things that fall from the sky come from Magonia. Magonia. I, I've never heard about this, but I thought that was interesting. <laughs> the word fuck is used 190 times <laughs> in the movie. Um, and, you know, New Line Cinema really, really wanted to market this as a Tom Cruise movie. But Paul Thomas Anderson is like, no, because this is an ensemble piece. And there's no way we are just marketing this just as a Tom Cruise movie which I think was the good decision. And like I said, there will be a bunch of other little things I'll be sprinkling throughout. But here we go. This is when I find out if we are still friends or not. So this was your very first time watching this. <laughs> and I want to know what your first impressions were of the film. Okay, so I'm going to have to do this in stages. And so part of it you'll get later as we keep going. But overall, okay, no, I won't even do that. So I went into it and I read the little blurb, you know, that's just like, it's an interconnected story. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I got to take notes. I got to be paying attention. And then I see the first, um, you know, the first part where it's explaining all the different coincidences. And so I'm like, okay, I need to listen to names. I need to listen to this. And so <laughs> I'm expecting it to be like a memento or something where you've got to like track all these little tiny details. And so... I am like edge of my seat for this. And then it starts playing and I'm like, okay, well, is it a comedy or is it a drama? <laughs> you know? So really, it just took me a while to find where I was supposed to be, you know, what angle I was supposed to be watching this from. But then I was like, let's just, let's just watch it. Let's just let it happen. And uh, so overall, I did enjoy it. I did like it. And it is one of those movies where I could see why it could be, it could be, I didn't know this was your favorite. I think I, now that you said it again on the intro, I'm like, yeah, I do remember her saying that, but uh, I guess I forgot. But, um, but uh, it's one of those where you watch, the more you watch it, the more you pick up on. And because a lot of those things that you were saying in the trivia, I'm like, oh yeah, I did see that. Or, you know, just randomly I saw something like when the guy is standing on top of the building and then the cords are like in an eight and a two. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> and then kept seeing things like that. So it's a very clever movie, but it's also very, it's very different um, too, I would say that. But I did enjoy it and I watched it twice. So that should tell you something. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I mean, some people hate watch it the second time, I guess, maybe. But uh, I did watch it twice. So I did overall enjoy it. Well, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I, you know, I, I was just very curious because... There are some people that hate this movie. So it it's, you know, so it can be a divisive one. And some people think of this as kind of like a snobby movie in a way. You know, and it it is, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson experienced like huge success with Boogie Nights, which came out a few years, a couple of years before this one. And so I think because of that success of that one, people were expecting something like that, which there are lots of elements of Boogie Nights. I don't know if you've seen Boogie Nights, Seashell. That's a great movie, too. Um, and we will cover that someday, someday for the podcast as well. And there are a lot of similar kind of themes of, like, interconnected stories. But unlike Boogie Nights, you know, Magnolia only takes place, except for the opening thing, over a 24-hour period. Uh, Boogie Nights, of course, takes place under over a couple of decades. It's all about the porn industry and stuff. 
So that's a little bit different, but there are those different stories sprinkled in there. Um, so, so I think there's the same kind of feel in the music and, and it's another one that takes place in, in the Valley where, where Paul Thomas Anderson grew up. So, you know, he went back to that for licorice pizza and I think punch drunk love also takes place in there, but punch drunk love is a very different movie from this, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I saw this in the theater (laughs) and I was a big fan of Boogie Nights. I was a big fan of Hard Eight, which was uh, PTA's very first movie that he ever released. Although that movie was very, very, very much taken away from him in a lot of respects and uh, edited down and it wasn't the movie he envisioned. So he became very, very proactive from then on. Like he designed the poster, designed the trailer for Magnolia, all of that stuff. Uh, so he's become very hands-on after that experience. I'm sure now though, he can, you know, have carte blanche, whatever. And I, what I loved about this, I love movies where there are different vignettes and different characters that, you know, connect And also to me, this is so much of a character study because you're studying all these different characters throughout. And those are my favorite kind of movies. And I thought the performances were so, so good. I still, still think it is a crime that Tom Cruise did not win that Oscar. He is so, so good in this movie. Everyone is. But I'm just signaling out his performance because I think his persona... Um, has always been one of like just like the pinup and then like pinup. I don't know if that's the right word, but just like the poster boy and the cute, gorgeous movie star and the action star and all of that. And I think people don't give him enough credit for what a great actor he really is, a really good actor. I, I think he's like beyond in real life. I don't like him in real life. <laughs> But I think he's a terrific actor. Were you going to say something? No, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I've not watched a lot of his stuff, mostly because he is an interesting person to me. Uh, But but he was incredible in in this. Uh, Yeah. Even though, well, and I'll talk about his character later, what I think about his character. But he was great at this character, as this character. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody is so good in this. And it has, and we'll talk about it when we get to, like, the frogs. And then after that, it has, I think, the best final shot of any movie, period. I love the final shot of this movie. I'll go over it when we get to it. Don't worry, Asia. <laughs> because it's like, I think this movie, it's interesting that you said you weren't sure if it was a comedy or a drama. Because there are some very comedic things in here. But this movie is really heavy and dealing with some very heavy, heavy themes, which we'll get to in a second here. I mean, it's dealing with life and death and religion and chance and regrets and parent issues and parental abuse, both sexual and emotional. And those are heavy, heavy, heavy topics. But there is some great humor in here. There are some very, very comedic scenes And I think they're kind of necessary to get you through a movie like this because you can do a movie like this and make it just heavy, 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 and it's been done before and that might be fine, but it's going to make for a very difficult and very painful viewing experience. And I'm not saying this couldn't be painful, but having those little bits of levity in there really help, you know, really help you get through it, I think. And also you get to see different 
shades of people's of people of human beings and different connections with each other because i think the main thing the main theme throughout this movie and we're going to get to the themes now but the main theme i think is connection and trying to find connection with other people because yes there's regrets there's all that but i think the main theme is connection because all of these people are looking for some kind of connection some real human connection in this movie so let's get to that for the concepts because like i said there is forgiveness love loneliness regret religion life death all sorts of different things are explored in this short three hour and eight minute movie <laughs> so a lot is tackled in this so i want to know was that was there one theme that you kind of i don't know latched onto or a couple of themes or how do you think they did with that yeah, I think they really did highlight all of them and, and in different ways. Not just one character had one thing. Another character might have had that, mm -hmm. but from a different angle or something like that. And so that was really handled very well. I liked how they dealt with um, with bitterness and unforgiveness and things like that. I liked how they dealt with acceptance and um, and not just like wanting to be accepted or wanting to be loved, but accepting the things that you've done and that you can't take back and accepting the end of life and accepting... Um, you know, just kind of where you got to and the, you know, the things that you've done. And so I really like that. And it really is a character study because you can look at it and there's all this stuff going on. And sometimes the humor is kind of, it's not, not weird, but it's just kind of like, I think about the scene where he's like, I need braces. I need them. And they're like, no, you don't. And then I go off like talking, that's like five minutes long. <laughs> you know? yes. Him wanting this oral surgery and he has like perfect teeth. But then when you can get past like the humor of that and you're looking at this characters like that is what he is. And then you find out more what's going on with him. Like he is searching to connect, to be loved, to be accepted, uh, to be seen as valuable. And it's like, okay, maybe this will finally do it. Like, you know, you see his journey, like, okay, well my intellect didn't do it. So he's trying these other things. And so it seems like it's just this kind of random assortment of all this stuff going on with these people and, um, and then, you know, the fact that they are connected. And so you're looking at, okay, how, how do they connect to this? But when you do take it by each character and what they're dealing with, what they're struggling with and where they are in life and what's going on that's out of their control, it really is, uh, yeah, a really deep look at <laughs> the psychology of what motivates, what motivates each one of them. If it's, um, if it's a search for love, if it's, that they've been so lonely, if it's that they have these things that they've hidden inside of them and they're trying to self-medicate like Claudia or whatever. Yeah. It, it's, it really makes you think, but sometimes for me, I found that I didn't start thinking about it until like later into the movie because I was kind of like, okay, where are we going to go with that storyline and where are we going here? And so it wasn't until after I watched it that I started to really think about what each character was going through. Yeah. You know, going back to the Donnie thing, going back to the character of Donnie uh, quiz kid Donnie, who, you know, won all his money as a child and he, his life has never been the same since then. His life, that was his peak moment was when he was a child. And so you think about that. If your peak in life is when you're a child, that has got to be very painful as an adult. And he goes to this bar a lot where there's a bartender, Brad, and Brad has the braces. So that's when you realize this is why he wants these braces because, it, like you said, he shall, it makes no sense. And once again, that all goes into that love thing. He just really wants love and he wants someone to see him because he's ignored and not seen and 
He's just lost his job. And I mean, in the first time you see him, he drives like literally into the store. He works. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I was like, what did I miss? What just happened here? <laughs> he drives right through the window. So it's like, yeah. And that, that's William H. Macy's character, by the way. Um, and <laughs> it's just like, okay, okay. But again, it's the love. And then he has that scene at the bar where he tells Brett, I love you. And I have a lot of love to give. I do have love to give. And he's crying. I mean, he is drunk. But he's also just being vulnerable and being like, you know, I'm so alone. I mean, in his apartment, we see like the big check that he won as a kid framed. And so once again, that was his peak. And so his whole life, he's had to live in the shadow of himself as a child. And that's, oh, that's, I mean, like if I, it's like people that, you know, they peak in high school and then afterwards they just are trying to live up to that high school them. And you'll know them like the people that want to go back to high school. Like I, I would never want to go back to high school, but you see that. And I think it's because they, that was their peak moment. And now everything is harder. And for him, I think that's what it, what it definitely was, you know, and so that that just that breaks my heart. That storyline breaks my heart in that way because it's very painful to watch because there's so much loneliness and desperation there that there's a part of you that wants to turn away from that. And I think that's why it works so well having other stories so you can get a break from certain ones. But you see it in in everything in here. You see it with Earl Partridge's wife, played by Julianne Moore, who married him she admits married him just for his money and then fell in love with him when he's dying and her guilt over that and her not knowing what to do and her attempted her attempted suicide her suicide attempt and so you've got that and then you've got um you know kind of peppered in here then you've got this character of jim the officer played by john c Riley, who is in a lot of respects he is the most innocent, sweetest person in the whole movie. It's a very different kind of character from the other ones. But then he has horrible things happen. He loses his gun. He, you know, you see that he is, by the way, other people talk to him, other people, officers and other detectives talk down to him and interrupt him and don't listen to him. So you can see that he actually is, puts on this persona that he's really good at his job. And I think a lot of people do that in here. They put on this persona that they're really good and they're okay with what they're doing. And then they're really not. There's like a bunch of stuff that goes wrong or they're very much alone. And when he meets Claudia, who is a who is a drug addict, who is suffering from a lot of PTSD from the sexual abuse of her father, who hosts the, you know, what do kids know thing and is a total ass hat <laughs> total scumbag i love what happens to him in the end with the frog so <laughs> i was like that's i was like there's no way you didn't know that was about the bible yeah day. I, no so way on. yeah yeah <laughs> no way it's almost like a biblical death in a way mm -hmm. it's like the frog's like yep you're gonna die <laughs> boom <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna hit the gun right in the Exactly. Yeah. So, yes. Yes. So, yeah, there's no way you didn't know this. I'm not buying this story. <laughs> I know. You knew it. You knew it, dude. You heard that. Yeah. Yes. But so you have it. But, but even with his character, even though he's scum, 
you still have, um, and that's Jimmy Gator, and you still have with him this sense of loneliness too, and this sense of regret, and this sense of, you know, he can't even admit what he did to his daughter, even though he knows what he did to his daughter, and his wife trying to get him to admit it towards the end, and her leaving him, that was wonderful and amazing, but, you know, you see his first scene when he tries to talk to his daughter and she's just like get the hell out of here and you don't know at that point what he did and when you find out yeah of course she's gonna be like get the fuck out of here you asshole but even with him he even though he's scum he does have that kind of like need for connection and you have it with all of them with um with even with philip seymour with philip seymour hoffman is also plays one of the sweetest characters in the world. You know, he's the stay-at-home nurse for Earl Partridge. And he's the one that ends up connecting Earl with his long-lost son, Frank T.J. Mackey, played by Tom Cruise. And he's so sweet and caring. And he just wants Earl to have this closure and doesn't realize any of the backstory to any of this. Because Frank, I think, is an interesting... Sorry, I'm still jumping ahead to the characters here instead of talking about the just the themes. But it goes into it, so I apologize. But he still wants... He wants love as well, and he wants to help other people achieve that love. But I think he also wants that connection through his job and wants to be connected to the people he's caring for in a lot of respects, too, and wants to make their transition great and wonderful or not great and wonderful, but peaceful is what I meant to say. And I think Frank is very much Frank hides behind this persona. And we'll get to it when we get to characters of being this, you know, like a uh, pickup artist kind of guy. And he's really not like that in real life. And he also wants love. He is, he has abandonment issues galore. And that's what he's dealing with. He actually hates his father and loves his mother, which is a very interesting thing with how disgusting and sexist his whole program is. <laughs> it's like this little dichotomy there where it's like, okay. <laughs> and, um, and you know, Claudia is a heartbreaking character, and we'll get to that. But her search, she's searching for love, too. And she's searching for connection, too, in the wrong ways at first. And when she has an opportunity for that love and connection... You see her own self-hatred and self-doubt get in the way of that. And, you know, it's very heartbreaking to watch that too. But she has a great meet cute and we'll get to it here in a minute here. <laughs> As I jumped ahead and just went in to talk about the characters. Sorry, I love this movie so much that I was like, I knew I'd be kind of all over the place. So I apologize. Well, there's so much going on and there so much to talk about. On. So, yeah. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. So all the character, all the stories connect in a way. And originally, Paul Thomas Anderson really wanted to show that all of this took place just within a 10-block radius. So people really did know how connected everything was. But people said, that'll just confuse the audience. Let's not do that. And it, and it's not necessary because you can tell that they are probably all in close proximity to each other. So I know you already said, I believe that you did like that, right? How they connected everything together. Yeah. And I typically like movies that are like that. There were, so I did appreciate all of that. There were some where I'm like, some of the connections felt a little, um, well, I don't know because <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing. The coincidence is a whole part of, that's one of the main things of the movie. And so, you know, part of me as a person in the audience would be like, well, it would have been cool if some of these connections would have been a little bit more, um, like, for example, Stanley is on the show with Jimmy. And so that's how he's mm-hmm. connected there. And so it's like, well, that kind of seems like an easy connection. And so I guess I would have, I guess some of them, maybe I was expecting some a little more clever, but it's like, but that's not, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like it was too on the nose. Some yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. But only like one or two of them. But the others, like, oh, okay, okay, you're here. And then, like, when Jimmy's knocking on the door, and it's like, oh, that's Claudia's house. Why are you at Claudia's house? And then it's like, oh, because that's his daughter. And then, so I guess I like how they did it, but it didn't seem as well. Maybe that was the point because if you said it's supposed to be like in this small little area, because I'm like, it didn't make it seem like you know this whole where the whole world is connected randomly kind of mm-hmm. thing it did make it seem like just a small segment of people is connected but, but maybe that was the point but either way I did enjoy how the different stories touched each other yeah it's just all that that thing of chance like they say in the beginning with the beginning story and it's just a, a thing of like random things connected to each other because you find out Earl Partridge is like the his production company produces that the show and yeah. that you're watching throughout and yeah yeah yeah, and so I saw that part, and, I, and so it's like, oh, okay, that's how they're connected. But some of the connections were, like, so minor, like that, where you, mm-hmm. like, it would have been neat if there was a, and maybe there was, I don't know, a picture of them in Earl's house, you know, just on some table, yeah. a picture of the two of them together. And so, I don't know, but that's not, that wasn't the point of the movie, so I'm just <laughs> talking about nothing. <laughs> well, no, I, I understand what but you're that's saying. that's the only thing that I was, like. I guess it's what I was looking for in it being this because it said it's an interconnected story. I'm like, well, yeah, technically it is, but but yeah, I'm I'm not even complaining about that. It's just something I noticed. So yeah, but I do know what you're saying, and it it, that that makes sense. I do. I I get that. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, did you have a favorite storyline or character? You could mention a couple if there were a couple. Yeah. So, um. And it kind of depends on what mood you're in, I feel like. So I really felt for Donnie, the the quiz kid. And I really felt for Stanley, too. That was another one that was, you know, kind of gripped the heart story. But I really loved uh, Phil, the the nurse, and, and his story, just because he's kind of an observer, but he's also, he's trying to, that's his job is to, like, graciously, compassionately bring this person to closure and mm-hmm. into acceptance and to try to facilitate that for the family and take some of that pressure off of them. So I really appreciated what he was trying to do. And then just being able to observe the three stories of Earl and of Frank and of Linda from his uh, point of view. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that was probably, 
I say that, but I don't know. Like, like I said, it just kind of depends on, because as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, Jim, <laughs> you know, oh, Officer Jim. Although at the beginning, I was like, you can't just bust up in this lady's house like that. I know. I and know. be like searching her closets, even if there's a dead man in there. <laughs> <laughs> You cannot do that's that. That's not mine. <laughs> yeah, she's like, that's not mine. What are you doing in there? You better not go in my room. And you better not go in my closet. <laughs> that's the part where I was like, is this a comedy? <laughs> yeah. Funny. Um, that's not mine. Yeah. But, uh, but I did like his character too. But, and he is like, he presents like, he's like, oh, it's a tough job. But, you know, you just got to know this going into it. But then as the movie unfolds, you see that he's not confident in what he's doing. And um yeah and everybody else is kind of like get out of the way dude um so there there was a sweetness to him as well so I really feel like it just kind of depends on then if I watch it again I'll probably pick a different character because um the little kid Dixon was cute (laughs) and I'm pretty sure there were some like things that got I'm guessing there were things that got cut from that storyline but he was cute in in the movie but yeah I think for today how I'm feeling right now I'm going with Phil but I did really just want to like hug Stanley and even Donnie. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yes. Poor Stanley. And I love when he finally stands up for his dad to his dad, but it's, you still get the feeling that that's not going to necessarily change because his dad's not listening to him. Right. And it seems like he's the consistent breadwinner in that home from, you know, his little prize money. And even the other adults at the studio there and the way that they were to him, like, no, you just need to do the show. You can't go to the, I mean, something as simple as like, give it, give the boy two minutes to go to the restroom. Oh, my heart breaks every time. Yeah. So that was, yeah. Yeah. It breaks for me. And, and, you know, I think it's so interesting, sorry, jumping ahead a little bit, but I think it's so interesting with him when the frogs fall from the sky, he's the only one that's not freaked out by it. Yeah. I uh-huh. always found that so interesting. He's just kind of watching it and then everything kind of slows down. You see it mm-hmm. slower and he's just got this smile like this is what ha- this is. St-. And he says, this happens. This yeah. is stuff that happens. <laughs> and I just think that's so interesting because everybody else freaked out the whole time this happens. Mm-hmm. And he's not. He's like calm and serene. And it's almost like it changes his life in a way. Because yeah. that I think is what motivated him to go to his dad and say, uh-uh, mm-hmm. we're not doing this anymore. Well, and that's such an interesting thing you now that I think about it. Because he is like the logical person. Like, I mean, all his knowledge comes from studying mm-hmm. books and studying, you know, things that are hard facts like, like that. And then for him to be the one who's like, yep, it's raining frogs right now. And this thing is like... <laughs> Yeah, this this happens in the world too. Like some of the times it doesn't make sense. And so if that doesn't make sense and you don't have just like, if not everything follows a set plan, then I don't have to follow this plan that my dad is trying to force on me and that these other adults are trying to force on me. And yeah. so no, just because I'm the kid doesn't mean I have to, you know, shut up and take it all the time. Just because I'm the smartest one doesn't mean I have to get up and go and stand in front of the audience when I don't want to. And uh, yeah, so go yeah. Stanley. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel so bad for Stanley. And he's another one. He wants love and acceptance. And he also wants to be a kid. And the other kids treat him like crap, too. And he doesn't want to do this. He just wants to be a kid. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking that they wouldn't just let him go to the bathroom. I cry for him every time when he, when he, you know, wets himself. And I'm, it's so, it's just, oh my gosh. I just, I want to punch everybody else. Cause I'm like, how dare you put him in this situation? He's the one who's, oh, it's like, oh, you're just using this poor little kid who deserves to have a childhood. So yeah. 
Um, and I didn't really answer the, did I like that all the stories were connected? I did, of course, because I love this movie. It's really hard for me to say I didn't like something in this movie. Uh, I, and I and I understand if people critique and criticize this movie, that's fine. You're wrong, but no. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do like how all those stories are connected. I do understand what you're saying with some of them being kind of on the nose, but I still like it for the most part. I like the way everything comes together and. My favorite really is Jim and Claudia when they first meet because it's such a meet cute. It's really a meet cute. And he's like trying to be like so still like Officer Jim. But the whole time he's also trying to press her. Like I wrote in my notes when he um, and I don't know if I'd ever really I'm sure I did, but I really noticed it this time. He's, you know, there because they got a noise complaint and there was yelling and screaming earlier when her dad came by and, you know, she has her music turned up really loud. Of course, it's Amy Mann. And he's like talking about wanting coffee and she makes him this coffee and he takes it. He takes the sip and he turns his head away and he's like, oh, my gosh, you can tell it's so gross, but he's not going to tell her that. And then she leaves the room and he immediately goes in the kitchen and dumps <laughs> cup of coffee because he doesn't want her to know that he doesn't like it. and. He's just so sweet during that whole interaction and she's nervous too. And it's just like this instantaneous thing of like the second she opens the door, he's like smitten and then he's still got to be a professional. And then he also wants to ask her out and then, you know, her taking the reins with that. And it's just such a cute, cute interaction and so sweet. And that is my favorite storyline is their storyline because I think Claudia is so heartbreaking to me and she hates herself so much and she's so alone and, you know, she's doing Coke throughout this movie and you're just worried about her all the time. And so for her to have a happy ending is just beautiful. She deserved it so much. And so I loved that. And I love, when they're having dinner and she's like, do you want to kiss me? He's like, yes, yes, I do. And they kiss. I love that. Even though she follows it up with, well, would you, would you object to never seeing me again? He's like, yeah, of course I would. But I just think it's a really cute, cute story. I would even love a movie just about them, like a romantic comedy almost you could even do with them. I think they're a great storyline. Personally, the hardest storyline for me, as far as like the one that makes me the most emotional, is actually Frank's storyline, mainly when he gets to his dad, because I've talked about my own dad issue crap. And that bedside, when he's at the bedside, Earl's bedside, and I want to read some trivia about that, because it actually, I think, adds to how wonderful I think that scene is and how beautiful I think Tom Cruise plays that, um, because him sitting there and when he first goes in there and he's like tells him i hate you i hate your fucking guts i'm so glad you're dying because you know he was left alone with his mom to care for his sick and dying mom and his dad ran out on them left and you know ended up marrying this other woman and that's a horrible thing to do to a child at, or a teenager and so he's yelling at him and saying i hope you're in a lot of pain and then it cuts to him just being like 
I fucking hate you. Don't die. I hate you. Don't die. I fucking hate you. Don't leave. Don't leave or don't go. Let me see the exact quote here, but uh, in my notes, because it's one of my favorite scenes. I actually have watched just that scene a little bit before because it's almost like a uh, catharsis for me in a way because it makes so much sense. Him saying, you fucking asshole, don't go away. You fucking asshole, don't go away. Because it's that thing of you're so mad at that parent that has left you, yet you can't help but still want them to be in your life. And so it's such a heartbreaking scene. And um, Philip Seymour Hoffman stated during the deathbed scene that everything after Frank's I'm not going to cry for you was improvised by Tom Cruise. Because Cruz didn't feel the scripted lines worked and PTA told Cruz to think of when his own father died and to let it move him. And during the next take, Cruz broke down sobbing, resulting in the scene scene in the film. Hoffman stated Phil's reaction to Frank sobbing was his own since he didn't know Cruz would enter such a zone and he felt the purity of Cruz's emotion. And you can see that there. It's so yeah. incredible. Yeah, that was, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, Tom Cruise is a fantastic actor. I forgot, <laughs> you know, when I when I watched that scene, because that is a lot of emotion going into that. Here's this person who has hurt you and wounded you, and not only you, but your your mom, too, who, like you said, he had to stay and, and care for as she, as she was dying. And, and so he went in so sure of, like, I don't even want to be here. I can't wait. To, I hope he's suffering. You know, I hope he dies quickly and that it's painful. And then to deal with but this is my dad and yeah he left but I didn't want him to leave I always wanted him to come back I wanted him to call he's like why didn't you call we were waiting she was waiting on your call we were waiting for you to call why didn't you do it and yeah I feel like he I mean just physically shaking you know his body is shaking and so mm -hmm. I feel like you got every single one of those emotions from him that he was feeling that he was angry that uh he you know that he still loved him I think you still you got that too and um but yeah he, I just like he was incredible in that in that in his character, you know, throughout the whole movie, like I said, he's great at that character, but that character comes off as a scumbag because, you know, of all his rapey oh, yeah. rhetoric. But, um, I mean, yeah, like yeah, anybody, I should have been like, you know, anybody who would go to that conference or call that number, read that book, it's like, mm, put you on the bad list. But, uh, but then once you see why, and there's no justification for what he's doing. Absolutely not. No means no. And no conference should oh, tell yeah. you anything different. But yeah. um, but you see why he is working so hard to like make people believe that that's who he is and that he's always been accepted like that and loved like that and gotten whatever he wanted. And then to see all of that self-assurance, all that confidence, you know, that image that he presented, to see all of that crumble there at the bedside, that was, uh, that was very beautiful acting. Uh, and just, yeah. A lot of depth of emotion there in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's, you know, he's been living this facade for so long. I mean, that's not even his, Frank isn't his real name, even it's Jack. And he's been lying. He's been saying his mom is still alive. He said his dad died. Uh, and then he gets interviewed and that's when he gets confronted with the truth. And the second he hears the truth in the interview, and this is before he even learns about his dad and gets contacted by Phil um, or learns that Phil's reaching out for him. He all of a sudden shuts down because he's been doing this facade of, oh, I just, I just keep going. I just get going. And it's just like, I just can't, you know, and he's like, <laughs> and he's being really icky and gross. And the reporter is just like, you know, boom, 
gets him and he just shuts down and tells her, you know, I'm just, you know, cause she's like, are you just not going to say anything? You're just going to sit there. And she's just like, I'm just, I'm silently judging you. And it's like everything that he has worked so hard to do to build up that wall and not actually let people see what a fragile person he is and how vulnerable he is and how much his dad hurt him. Because yes, the stuff that he preaches in his stuff is in seduce and destroy is absolutely disgusting. The whole respect the cock and tame the cunt that is disgusting. And yes, I do laugh every time the way he does it. I do admit I laugh his whole big monologue. I laugh at it every time. <laughs> I can't help it. But it is gross because yeah. You know, watching it this time, I was like, this is the start of the incels. This is where incels came from. Uh -huh. Listening to guys like this. <laughs> but I don't think he believes a single flipping word of what he's saying. He has just found a way, a character to be. He's found a character to fit into because he could no longer be Jack. He could no longer be the person waiting, the little boy waiting for his dad. Or the teenager that had to take care of a sick and dying mom. He could no longer be that. So he's like, I'm going to invent this guy who probably actually shares some characteristics of who his dad maybe was. And he becomes that. And that's his way to shield himself. To shield himself from ever, ever having to feel any of that emotion he's felt before. And so then when he's, you know, when he first walks in there and you don't really see him. You hear him. He's talking to Phil. And, you know, Phil is so sweet and, oh my gosh, I love Phil so much. And he's just trying to be like, here's, this is the dog's name, this dog's name, this. And Frank's like, no, no, no. He's like, you know, I will drop kick one of those dogs if they come near. And he says it more than once. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, he's instantly still got that guard up. He's got that leather jacket that seems really tight and like it hasn't been broken into yet because of the noises it makes. And when he sits there at the bedside and he even like at one point holds his hand so tight and his body so tight, you can hear the jacket. You can hear the noise of the jacket and you can hear this like because he's trying not to cry and he says, I won't cry for you. And him trying to hold those tears in, but they're right there and he's just really going to cry. And then with the you fucking asshole, I hate you, don't go, that whole thing comes from that it's like all those years of holding that in and now it all of a sudden it comes out and he's so different from then on after he has that scene he's a lot you know you don't see a lot of it after that but he seems a lot softer I mean he goes to the hospital where Linda is and he had been saying he didn't want to see her and she hates him too and so I think him having that was almost like a closure and there is a brief moment where earl does open his eyes before he dies and looks at frank and there's that hopefulness in frank's eyes of oh my dad's here and he doesn't say anything but there is kind of this little bit of closure between them so for me that storyline personally was always the one that got to me the most and it's probably why i was like he should have won that academy award plus i just think he's so dang good it I think he's so good. And that scene is so incredible. He just plays that so well because every emotion, you see every emotion there that he could possibly go through. So I think it's a it's a 
great, great performance. And his character, by the way, is based on the pickup artist Ross Jeffries. I don't know, which reminded me, did you ever watch, there was a reality show on VH1 about a pickup artist that would take these men who didn't know, who had no game. It was mm-hmm. so gross and teach them how to hit on women. Uh, I don't know. You know, uh, VH1 was a little, you know. <laughs> oh, no. She's like, let me rub it in that I'm younger than you. <laughs> I mean, I could have, I was, I was probably, you know, at least a toddler when it was on, but uh, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> Oh my god! So, yeah, okay. But maybe let's not I don't talk know. about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, scratch that. <laughs> hey, it's my birthday month when this is released. It's not technically my birthday month when we're recording this. Yeah. <laughs> Be nice to me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was like what forty three. Well, yeah, <laughs> watching this on VH one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was a toddler. <laughs> I was learning to walk that year. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to know, did you have a least favorite character? I mean, I have a feeling what the least favorite character or storyline would be. <laughs> um. Oh, okay. Well, I want you to tell me what my least favorite was. Oh, well, not because not because I didn't like uh like any of them. Let's see. I think I was least sympathetic toward Linda. I understand where she was coming from, but I think I might have been least sympathetic toward her. Um, but I do get you know she's Earl's wife, and I think you mentioned it earlier, but she was like. I love I love him now. I don't I don't want all his stuff. I don't I don't deserve it. You know, I've done all these horrible things. I was with all these men. I was horrible wife to him and I don't deserve it. And I just want, you know, somebody else to have it. Like let's change his will. And um and so I get where she was coming from where she's like, well, I don't have I can't go back and undo any of these things. And so there's all yeah. this regret in her. Um and now that she does love him, but it's like it's kind of too late to do anything with that love. You know, something that Donnie says, like, I have this love I want to put somewhere and I don't have anywhere to put it. And so now that she's finally acknowledging what she feels, she doesn't have and he's dying, she won't have a place to put that genuine emotion now that's real now. Um, and so I get all of that, but that, that might be my like I might have been least invested in in her. But <laughs> I think that's probably what I'll go with. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I always felt least invested in her as well because I actually had a hard time feeling bad for her in some respects. Yeah, especially because she's still going to yeah. get like all this money. <laughs> so I'm like, go away, girl. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is the part of it of like, you know, it's too late and now she loves him. And so it's too late for her to actually explore what that love really means. And I'm not saying like any of the like the, the suicide attempt is sad and it looks like she obviously is fine or going to be fine, I should say. But yeah, it's hard to. But for me, I, why why I said that I was wondering is because I think Jimmy Gator is the ho- the host for what what do kids? Oh know? yeah, that's it's the- such a horrible scumbag that it's kind of like you kind of can't not hate him. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, that one, just because, like, everything about him is horrible. There's nothing redeemable about that. And so I was like, I thought that was understood. Well, yes. That's why I was yeah. like, well, I think I know. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, he is horrible because it's that same thing. He comes in to see her and I'm like, 
oh, maybe she's responding that way because of her addiction issues and Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to be judged and doesn't want to hear what he has to say. And then when you find out, no, it's because he is a trash person uh, and has ruined this person's life because of from molest because he molested her when she was younger and you don't know if it's a one-time thing like we don't really get that whole doesn't matter mm-hmm. um but yeah so he's yeah trash and i don't care anything about him so uh yeah yeah so yeah when it comes to like just like who i would almost use the word hey yeah that's him but the one that i was least sympathetic toward was was linda i didn't i don't know if they were going for sympathy with jimmy maybe maybe they were i don't, I don't know i didn't well, I think it kind of started out that way, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then when you learn really what happened, uh-huh. then I think that kind of that sympathy goes away. Right, and it's seen be- with his wife. Yeah, and because he won't acknowledge it is the thing. Yeah. It's like, dude, you've done it at this point. You can't undo it, and we can accept that that it can't be undone. But you can at least own what you did and not make it look like she, like your daughter, is the crazy person. And I think if you if you're not willing to own up to what you did then there is no forgiveness for that so yeah exactly because you know he's just like she thinks i may have done something to her and you you know you know you just won't admit it and he had just admitted you know right before that to all these affairs he had had but he won't admit this which is just like it makes him just a coward and a disgusting human being and that's why I was always so grateful that she left him and went immediately to her daughter. Because I think if she hadn't done that, I would have been like, you're a you're horrible human being. But, uh, you know, him saying, well, if I admit it, will you stay? And she's like, no. Because <laughs> you're horrible. Like, that's worse. <laughs> yeah, no. And using uh, that as a way to not right, be Right, exactly. Because <laughs> then you can be like, well, no, I only admitted it so you would stay here and help me because I'm sick and I'm dying. Well, too bad, dude. So, yes, yes. Here's a frog. Here's a yeah. frog. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> that death did not leave me at all sad. I was very happy when he died. Sorry, but, you know, people that do that, sorry. But, yeah, that was, that was fine. Yeah. yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> Um, but I will say, you know, an interesting journey for me that I'm going to say with the character of Donnie, because the thing is, when I first saw this movie, he was the least interesting character to me. And I think it was because he made me uncomfortable because I was like, you're trying so hard to be this. And why are you breaking into the store? And then you break your key off in the lock and then you're climbing up the side of the building. And you're just lucky that Officer Jim is the one that saw you. And he like helps you put the money back. and lets you you know recommends a dentist for you because now you've fallen and now you really do need dental work <laughs> yeah it ain't gonna be just five thousand dollars worth this stuff <laughs> no it's like kind of ironic that that frog yeah. falls on him and he yeah. falls down and smashes his face <laughs> like well now you really do need the dental work that you actually didn't need before right. but you need it now yeah so his was always hard for me and i think it's because i felt the most uncomfortable in a way with that character um so it took me a while to really, really be okay with that storyline just because it was one of those where you're like, oh my gosh, please stop, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. I felt really bad for him the whole time, but it was still like that kind of like, uh, uh. 
So, yeah. Yeah, because he is a cringy kind of person. And you do feel a lot of, like, secondhand embarrassment for him. Did you – see, I thought um, that he was interested in the girl, in the woman at the bar. And I was like, no, oh, Brad. that's – Yeah, but I, I figured that out. But I was like, oh, that's why he wants braces because she's talking to Brad and Brad oh, has them. And he wants to look like Brad. But then I was like, oh, no, he's I am Brad. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And I don't know it, what I thought when I first saw it because that was – that was only a year or two ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, was... when you were a wee lad, just a year ago. <laughs> I'm not even going to think how old Michelle was when I first saw this, because then I'll be very sad. Um... I was born. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. At least you were born. Yeah. <laughs> I was born. I was alive, yeah. <laughs> I was alive then. <laughs> well, that, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um but yeah so i don't know if i thought that when i first saw it because now it's hard to say because i know because i've seen it so i watch it and i watch the way he watches brad and brad's braces which (laughs) the way brad brad is a funny character (laughs) he's kind of a he's kind of a himbo as we Uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah very true for him yeah uh but yeah so donnie's the one that that had to grow on me after a while so yeah well i do want to talk about the music only because it is such an essential part of this like i said you know amy Mann's music you know a lot of the script was written around that and based on that so i do want to know then did you like the music in this did you like the amy Mann songs and then we'll talk about all the characters when they sing yeah i loved the music now i wasn't really paying attention to like how it was fitting into the scene i tried to be mindful of that but i was so busy like ooh, make put this on my playlist (laughs) because it's songs that like i've heard but just kind of Mm -hmm. forgot that you love those songs so yeah i did love the the music too there were a couple of times where i noticed like how it kind of fit into something or fed into it Mm -hmm. But and I was like, this is this song this long one when it's playing at the beginning. Like, is this song really fifteen minutes long? <laughs> it went on for a while to the point where like I like hit the button on the remote so I could see how long that song had been going on. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, That's funny. Yes, so I probably missed the point of the music in it, but I did really like the music in it. Yeah, yeah, I I I love the music in this movie i I listened to the soundtrack so much love the soundtrack love 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 it i think all the songs are amazing and perfect and wonderful so that's all i'll say (laughs) there's not really much i can add to that because i i love music so much there's nothing like critique wise but i definitely want to you know there are some scenes in this movie that have lived on we're gonna for a long time and that this movie is known for and some weird things that happened that I remember seeing in the theater. People laughed at each one of these things we're going to talk about. The two things. And also made some like, what the fuck is <laughs> going on? And the first one really where that happened was all the characters start singing along to the song Wise Up. And it first starts with Claudia. And you're thinking, well, Claudia is listening to this music. So that makes sense. But then you go to every character and they're singing lines. And I want to just go over this little bit of trivia for this. So each line in the wise up scene is in a reference to what the character singing is going through. When Claudia sings, it's not what you thought when you first begin it. This refers to her cocaine addiction. 
Jimmy's you're sure there's a cure and you have finally found it refers to his cancer. Donnie's you think one drink will shrink you till you're underground and living down refers to his drinking. Linda's prepare a list for what you need before you sign away the deed refers to her dying husband's will. So it's and then, of course, some of the other characters sing other songs, too. That's not in here uh, with this little trivia. But so when you first saw that, because this is your first time watching it, what did you think of that that scene? Okay, so like I said, I was like, are we doing comedy? Are we doing drama? I'm like, okay, we're doing musical. Okay. <laughs> it was serving up all the genres, you know? Uh, and But but then, like, that's such a great song. And then the way it was done, I really did like it because I felt like, you know, at, one interesting thing about this movie, having so many different storylines and so many different characters is, like, things are getting to, like, this building up to this kind of climax for different characters at different times. Or so you think that they're at this, the peak of it or whatever. And then something else happens. They're like, Oh, nope. Went even, <laughs> went even further. And so what I loved about that is it kind of just like gave me a minute to like have all these characters rooted together in one thing, feeling all the things that they're feeling, dealing with all the things that they're dealing with. And at that point you've gotten to see, the depths of each of them kind of like what's really going on beneath the surface with with each of them and so then to have that moment where they're kind of connected in these things that are common for humanity you know the stuff that you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that that search for love and uh forgiveness and struggling with loneliness and just to see how okay yeah these people are connected because he's the producer of his show and that's her dad and that's her husband or whatever but also they're just connected in the experiences of humanity (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and um rejection and shame and self-doubt and self-loathing and just you know all that different stuff and so to me it was really like I know the storyline has them connected but just in that musical moment that's when I really felt like okay here here they really are connected just in the experience of what it is to be a human and how that can suck sometimes so (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and I think, you know, why I love this scene. I love this scene. I think it fits with the movie. I think it's such an interesting thing to do to show all these characters singing this one song and all these characters that some of them never, ever meet, but they are all connected in some way way in this. So there's some, they're like one degree away from each other in a lot of respects. <laughs> Arguing to our six degrees uh, game. Um but what I love about it, too, is that music, like I said, is such a powerful medium and song is so powerful and such a way to get out your emotions. And especially if a song is singing something that is speaking to what you are going through and to who you are. And I think that's also what this is expressing is how music can connect us, how music can connect us to ourselves. Music can connect us to other people. You hear a song, it can remind you of a very specific time in your life. And that's why I think it's a beautiful scene. It's so beautiful. I can understand how people might think it's ridiculous and kind of gimmicky, but it fits so well that it's hard to think of it that way, I think. And I think what Paul Thomas Anderson does so well is music. He really knows how to use music in his movies, whether it be who he works with to do scores or anything like that. You can tell he loves, loves music. I mean, he's worked on lots of music videos. So directed a lot of them and still does direct music videos. So you can see that love that he has for music in everything he does. 
And so this makes sense that he would put that in there, you know? Um, and I just think it's, it's a great, wonderful, wonderful scene. And it's a great way to tie everybody together and to take a moment to, to kind of breathe. I think that's also what it provides. So yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, we're going to get to the thing that when you first, when I first saw this in the theater, I wish I could remember the exact response, but there was a lot of laughter, a lot of what the hell, a lot of what the fuck is this? <laughs> we're throwing this in there now. So I'm going to set the stage for when the first one falls and I'll give a little bit of trivia about this too. Um, so Jim is driving back from his date with Claudia when Claudia said, well, why don't we just not see each other anymore? And he still really likes her driving. And he sees Donnie climbing up the side of the store that he'd been working at about to break it and, you know, trying to return the money that he stole. And he's like, what is this guy doing? So he turns around, he does a U-turn and all of a sudden, boom, boom, two things hit the car. And it's frogs. And you watch as one slides down the windshield, obviously dead. The other one's dying. And I remember watching this and you're like, oh, okay, that's weird. Did someone like drop frogs on the car? And then all of a sudden it starts raining frogs everywhere. And everybody's freaked out. It's hitting people. Um, Jimmy Gator is like, has a gun and is thinking about killing himself. And a frog falls through the skylight. You watch it slowly fall. You hear the ribbit. It falls, hits the gun, kills him. You feel no sympathy, no sympathy at all about for him at all. I don't care. That was, I think that was awesome justice. <laughs> Way to go, frog. You're you're the real hero of the movie. Uh, <laughs> and you just watch them falling everywhere. And Phil is the only one to kind of look at and go, there are frogs falling from the sky. <laughs> and they're everywhere. And, and like we said before, um, Stanley is the only one that seems really in awe and seeing the beauty of this. Uh, but a couple of trivia about this. We were asking Shell what she thought about the frogs falling from the sky. There were over 7,900 rubber frogs that were made and used in the frog scenes. The rest were created by CGI. No real frogs were harmed during production. Exodus 8-2 King James reads, And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. Uh, and then another little thing about the frogs, I want to give it, you know, it comes from the book of Exodus, like we just said, um, and the, it's from the plagues of Egypt. Uh, here's a quote. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. So it's like a plague, a plague of frogs. So, Ishel, I'm so curious to hear this. So, when this happened, what did you think, and how do you, how do you think this fits into the whole narrative of the movie? Okay, so I'm watching, and then uh, I I see the Exodus eight two, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what Exodus eight two says, and I know the whole story of Exodus, and. Uh, and so I pull it up and I read it. I'm like, hmm, that's odd. And then, you know, it's earlier in the movie when you when you see that the first time. And so I'm just like watching it. I'm like, I don't know what that has to do with anything. That's very, very random. But I don't know. Maybe they're in New York. Billboards don't always make sense in New York. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, so um, 
then we get to that scene and these frogs the two frogs fall down and i'm like uh what is happening here and then you see all of them and i'm like what the heck does aaron have me watching i was like i <laughs> i better not have given three hours of my life to this <laughs> it is gonna turn into some crap here at the end because like, I, I have been burned too many times before by movies <laughs> done that to me you know we're like you're like okay this is good i like this and then you get to the end and something just wild and crazy happens um and so then i see all in at first i just want to like pass out because i think frogs are disgusting true story i found a baby frog in my house one time i left for two weeks (laughs) (laughs) i was like it can have my house now it lives there i don't live there anymore disgusted by frogs but so all this is happening and then yeah everybody like and you see like it's happening everywhere and so it's not just in some person's mind like this is happening everywhere and then we get to that scene with stanley where he's like yeah this is this is happening this is what happens and so then i started like okay let's just figure out what's going on here as i'm trying to watch it and what i know that scripture that verse in exodus is you know, that's when Pharaoh has is holding them as prisoners. He's like, let let these prisoners go. And so then I started thinking, because this is a character story, a character study, what things are holding these people, what are they holding on to that's keeping them in prison? And so if that's unforgiveness, if it's things that they haven't admitted to or or whatever, or and so I started thinking about, okay, well, that is what's happening. Some of these people still haven't let go of some of those things. And that's what that verse says. Like, if you don't do it. He's going to, it's going to rain frogs. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, that's what's happening. And so that's one side of it. That's like a, you know, from that angle, but then also how Stanley's just like, yep, this is something that happens. <laughs> and I guess it's just because what it's getting at is like sometimes in life where, you know, things are so random or so coincidental or so crazy where it's just like, oh yeah, of course that, <laughs> of course that happened. Yeah. Uh, Cause I've definitely had days like that where mm-hmm. something ridiculous be it good or bad or just funny happens and you're like yep i i would be shocked if that did not happen today (laughs) and so i appreciated the like complex ways to look at it um and i also appreciate just the simple way of being like yep it's just raining frogs right now and that's what happens (laughs) so ultimately i was okay with it i I would not have been able to you know live through that i definitely would have had a heart attack but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I did appreciate that in the movie and it did not ruin it for me. It was still a little random or whatever, but that's the whole point. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah. Uh, well, I lived in, which I still blows my mind, never lived here, but I lived in Wichita for almost a year. And you, you will walk outside and there will be little baby frogs like everywhere. Doing so. Okay, thanks for letting me know. I can never live in Wichita. So, <laughs> got it. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, well, I loved this from the very first moment I saw it because I was like, whoa, this is like really, this is something that will either really fail or really succeed. Because it's not what you, you would never expect this to happen. I guess if you're sitting there and you're really looking at the Exodus thing and you're like, Oh, I know. Frogs are going to fall from the sky. Anyway. No, I mean, I literally I read the verse and was like, yeah. that's never going to happen in this movie. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyone would believe that would happen. So when it does happen, it is one of those what the fuck moments. And it is for the characters. And, you know, I, th- you know, I think you could look at it deep, 
but I also think it is one of those random things that just happens. I prefer to think of it that way instead of more in the biblical sense, because even though religion is a theme in this movie too, I prefer looking at it as this is just a random thing that just happens. Just these frogs just fall from the sky. It's just something that might happen and how everybody reacts to it. And the fact that once it's done, everybody's just like, okay, let's start cleaning up and going back. And it's almost like they went through this huge trauma, <laughs> collective trauma for a few minutes. And now they're all recovering from it. And for the most part, they actually all seem better and more at ease. That's the interesting part to me. And, you know, and then you have watching all the different stories and how they kind of end and their final scenes. And, you know, then you watch like Earl's body being taken out and then the, the dog that ate some of the pills, his body. And even though I hate watching dogs get hurt in movies, I actually don't mind this one as much. And it's kind of funny that they put because and they do do this when you have I, um, my dog Schroeder that passed away almost two years ago now, he, it was an in-home thing, which is if you can do that is the best way to say goodbye to your pet, if you can. And when they do that, they do bring the gurney and they do put the blanket on them and cover them up and do the strapping. And, but I remember seeing this in the theater and I'm like, oh, that's kind of silly. They're putting the dog on the gurney too, with the, <laughs> covering it up because it's dead too. I don't know why it made me laugh the first time. Not that I think it was great the dog died, but I just, I think they were going for humor there. I don't yeah. think. Well, I was like, one of these dogs has to die because, uh, you know, when he spills the, when Phil yeah. drops all the pills everywhere, like, and you see a dog eating, like, okay, this story cannot be complete. I'm sorry. It just has to happen. One of these dogs has yes. to die. Yeah. Yes. There's no way the dog would have survived that. So, yep. Uh, so I just think it's interesting watching the aftermath more than anything of what happens. Um, and you watch Claudia and her mom, her mom comes to her, to Claudia and holds her during the whole thing. And Claudia is kind of turning into a little kid then. And it's very heightened tension for a lot of people, uh, for most everybody it's heightened tension there. And I think it's really interesting to watch and kind of the, the, the catharsis in a way, I think that it presents in some weird way for some of the characters. So I, I did, I did enjoy it. I will never, ever think it should be out of the movie. I think it works. It is shocking when you first see it, though. It's kind of like, what the hell are they doing? Are they really having it rain frogs? What the fuck? What's happened? Where are we going now? And now you're not sure what's going to happen at all. And this is towards the end, of course. So I want to talk, though, about the final shot of this movie, because it's my favorite final shot of the movie, favorite final scene. And that is, you see Claudia, she's sitting in bed the next morning and, you know, her mom has stayed there with her and you hear Jim come in and Jim starts talking to her. You don't hear everything he says. You just watch her face taking it in. And he's basically, you hear a couple of words like you're, I think you're beautiful. I think you're, you know, and he sits down on the bed. You still are just watching her face though. The camera's really focused on her. And her just, she doesn't say anything. And then she looks at the camera and smiles. And that's the end of the movie. And I think it's perfection. Nothing probably will ever beat that for me. So, Ishelle, did you like that? <laughs> 
Yeah, I did. And I had the subtitles on because otherwise I wouldn't have picked up anything that he said in that in that last scene. But that's what he's doing is coming back to her and he's like, I know that you said that you think that I'm going to basically kind of saying, I know that you think that if I knew more about you, I would run away and I would leave you alone and that you don't deserve anybody to, you know, come here and stick around or whatever. And he's like, but I'm not going to listen to that. <laughs> I'm, I am going to still be here because I want to get to know you. And um, and so you do get this little, like, I don't know if redemption is the right word for her, but just like that she has a path forward that is brighter than what she, you know, was looking at what, than what she had before. So, um, yeah, I did like that. Uh, it ended with the two of them. Yeah. Or with her on her, but you know, yeah. with him in the, yeah, him in there. Yeah. Well. And I think what you get from it is hope. This is the first time you felt hope for her. And that's the first genuine smile you've seen from her. And she looks so happy. Like, so, so happy. And hopeful. And that's why I love it. Because it makes me cry every time. Because watching her character throughout this, and she's such this walking open wound. And then seeing her actually have real joy and happiness in that moment. And, you know, the song that's playing, like, the lyrics even fit it, like, you look like the perfect fit for a girl in need of a tourniquet. So it's just like, you know, even that fits with what's going on in that scene where for the first time ever, probably in her life, someone, a man is telling her that she's beautiful and that he likes her and he wants to get to know her. And that's what's so beautiful about it is this is a character that has never experienced that probably ever. And she's experiencing that for the first time from someone who by all accounts, if it hadn't been for the nose com noise complaint, she would have never met this person because they're in totally different circles. Well, and she wouldn't want to meet him because he's a cop oh, and yeah, she's a big drug user. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I want to say, I don't think Jim should be an officer. Because he's too good to be an officer. Yeah, no, he should not be an officer. No. <laughs> on a new job, Jim. Yeah. Yes, yes. It, you deserve to have a different job. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that's in the sequel, Magnolia 2. <laughs> the frogs are back in town. Um, <laughs> he's just shaking her. This time it's personal. I was like, every like part two should be called this time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> Magnolia 2. This time it's personal. Are you listening, PTA? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm picturing some kind of weird poster there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I just think it's a great, great final, final shot. It's just, oh, it's gorgeous. And the smile is the most genuine smile you've seen, I think, in the whole movie period anyway. Uh, and that's why I always kind of was like, well, this story's about her. But like I said, when I analyzed it, and it could be totally wrong, but the way I analyzed it, it actually came back with, um, with Officer Jim being the main character, which actually does make sense. And the way he was campaigned then does make sense. And speaking of the way it's shot, I have to give a shout out to um, the cinematographer, the director of photography, Robert Ellswit. And I actually wrote a paper on him too once. He's he's my absolute all-time favorite cinematographer. 
Uh, he used to be the exclusive cinematographer with PTA. PTA, I think, worked with somebody else on um, his last one, if I can remember correctly. But just a shout out to him because he knows how to use that camera where it's not invasive, but you feel like you're with the characters and you're there. And I love a lot of the shots in this movie. And I love a lot of times when the camera isn't focused on where you normally would think the camera would be focused. And I like that too. So yeah. Wow. That was only an hour and a half. Look at that. I mean, we've come to our final segment, but that was amazing. And I do want to thank you, Ishelle, for journeying with me. Yeah, this, taking this journey <laughs> with me through this movie. Well, I'm glad that I watched because I even when um you said me and I was you know searching it on my um TV and I was like, is it the one from '99? <laughs> that's what I messaged you and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Because <laughs> I had, like no context, no clue, no anything. But I'm so glad that I watched it. Good, good. Well, and go watch Boogie Nights. I think you'd like Boogie Nights. Okay. If you liked this, you'd, you'd probably like Boogie Nights more. I, I don't okay. know. Maybe okay. not. But a lot of people like Boogie Nights more. But I'll be curious what you yeah. think of that one. I'm going to so, check it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, he may not be here, but he's always here in spirit. So it's time to play Six Degrees of Mr. Finn Whitrock. And I don't know if Ishelle has one. She does. She's very excited. So. <laughs> I am excited. <laughs> okay. Give me that Six Degrees. Okay. I have um, from Tom Cruise uh, to, is this right? Yes. To Jerry Maguire with Renee Zellweger, who was, who was in Judy and, with Finn. <laughs> yes. Is that right? Yeah. Does that check out? That does okay. check out. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there are quite a few easy ways to connect him to this one, actually. Yeah, that one's that one's yep. Yep. Okay. That does. Yes. And that that is a good movie. Renee Zellweger is amazing in that movie. Yeah. Uh, what they did to her, to Judy Garland, what Hollywood did to her is so disgusting and despicable. It is. And Finn yeah. plays her last husband be before she died. So yeah. Yes. Uh, well, what I used was one that if Finn was on here, I was going to ask him about this experience. So when I interview you, if you are up to talking about it, which I, I don't know, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, I would ask you about this. So Finn Whitrock was in a play on Broadway, Death of a Salesman, with Mr. Philip, the late, great Mr. Philip Seymour Hoffman, which I can only imagine how amazing that experience was. I think because the way I know that Finn likes this movie, this is not like I'm not some weird stalker person. Just want to make sure everybody knows that he was on this podcast where and it was a podcast that was hosted by his friend and where his friend, you know, it was like curating your own movie festival, film festival. And so they talked a lot about this. So and I can't remember exactly what he said about working with Philip Seymour Hoffman. I believe he mentioned that. But so that's the quick little way. Michelle's was quick too. Very easy to connect him here. So when we have you on here, I will ask you for your six degrees of your connection, Finn, to anybody in the world. <laughs> I'm like, connect yourself to a movie. <laughs> I'll give you a movie. I'll assign you a movie to connect yourself to. <laughs> I so want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> Fergie. Fergie just came in here. She's like, what's going on? Um, 
<laughs> so uh, if you, sorry, if you want to play the listener version of Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock, head on over to our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com. Click on the page titled Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock, and we will have four movies or television shows to connect him to in Six Degrees or Less for a chance to win some merch. Well, thank you again, Ishelle. This was so much fun. Thank you for talking about this movie with me that I love so, so, so dearly. And I'm glad that you liked it. I really am glad because there was a part of me that was worried <laughs> that maybe you wouldn't. So I appreciate that. And there's so much more we could explore about this movie. Mm-hmm. And maybe someday we'll revisit it. But thank you yeah. so much. So, yeah. So, Ishelle, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you and your amazing Queerest Folk podcast, Liberty Diner Dish. Yeah. Uh, so like Aaron said, you can find me at a Liberty Diner Dish. Uh, we are, um, yeah, that's where you can find my podcast. You can search for that. We are also on social media at Liberty Diner Dish, except for Twitter. We are at Diner Dish. Uh, I'm also getting ready to, because I read all the time, I decided we should do a book podcast. And so I'll also be on Pride Stacks Book Club, which is a podcast that's dedicated to um, books with queer characters or queer stories, fiction and nonfiction. So that'll be a fun venture that's coming too. Oh, so that's the new one you're starting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I don't don't know why I didn't know about this. Because I like just now did a logo for it this week. So. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So awesome. we got a couple weeks before you put this out, right? <laughs> uh, this will be out on November first. Okay, then we're good. We're okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, November second. Okay, November second. Yes, yeah. still good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So we. Uh, yes. Well, and this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at e April Beauty. The e and the a and the b are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod on TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, anyone who was in this movie and especially dear, dear Finn Whitrock, who was not in this movie, but if you would like to be an interview guest on the show, Feel free to reach out to us via our website. It's a fandomthinkpod.com. Click the contact us button there. That'll shoot us an email. I would love to start filling in interviews for next year. So if you have anything coming out next year that you would like to get on the podcast and talk about, please reach out to us. Again, a little heads up that there's going to be a change to the podcast coming next year. It's going to be a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But there will be a change. It will probably also facilitate maybe doing more interviews as well, which I miss doing interviews. I haven't done an interview in a while. It's just been really hard to do. I will be doing one with Tanya Cook soon, who, of course, has been on. They've been on the podcast quite a few times. So I will be having one with Tanya soon. So that'll be like late November, early December, I believe. Uh, And then on our next podcast episode, we are going to be diving into one of my absolute favorite bands, a band that is my soul and my heart and means so much to me. I will probably cry during this podcast recording. (laughs) And that's Depeche Mode. And that will be Carla and I talking about that. And then for the rest of my birthday month, the week after that, we're going to talk about 
good old George Clooney and then Val Kilmer. And Val Kilmer used to be my favorite actor, and that's why I chose him to discuss. I think he's also a really interesting actor to talk about. And then we're going to be off for the week of November 14th. So there will be no new episodes that week. And then we'll return the next week with a look at Silver Linings Playbook, which we will definitely be critiquing the director, the writer and director, David O. Russell, because he is a horrible, awful human being. But this movie means a heck of a lot to me personally. And so I wanted to talk about it because it, of what it means to me in my life. But I will also be critiquing David O. Russell. And then we're going to round out with just a fun episode, just talking about other things that I love. Books, movies, music, actors, flowers. No, probably not flowers. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I love roses, by the way. Not <laughs> to be cliche. I love roses purple roses i don't know why i was gonna ask what there, color like... yeah <laughs> i love sunflowers in case anybody wants to do anything with that that's that's my favorite so <laughs> do what you will with that well we did have flowers in this you know magnolia so you know hey fits <laughs> uh but until next time remember it's a fandom thing black lives matter and stop asian hate